You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for being here. Um, I've missed you. I've missed you a whole lot, and I'm glad that you are welcoming me back into your ears. And there are so many episodes from season one that did not get put out due to, um, I'm just going to mention the other episode (laughs) of the season. Um, That's kind of why it ceased for a minute, and so I'm excited to put some out that are almost like a year and a half old at this point, but hopefully it won't be too dated. Uh, This one is actually pretty fresh. It's certified Rotten Tomatoes very fresh, this interview, um, that I got to sit down with um, just the incomparable Mason Alexander Park, who, if you don't already know about them, they are (laughs) literally blowing it up. I mean, you could have seen, you could have seen this a mile away. Um, if you're familiar with their work, uh, starting, you know, well, for me, it was, you know, recognizing them through Hedwig and the Angry Inch, the national tour. Um, I knew this person was very special. And then um, shout out to Jonathan DeMar for posting so much about Mason and their 50 or their uh, Green Room 42 show. And I thought, who is this person? I'm going to have to stalk them on social media. And then we ended up stalking each other. It was great. And uh, I'm just so excited for you to hear all about them. And they're not going to promote their stuff because I told them that I would already talk about it here. And I just want you to put on your radar, if you're not already a big fan of Cowboy Bebop, the live uh, action version of Cowboy Bebop, the anime show, uh, it's coming to Netflix and it's going to be amazing. And they're also doing uh, The Sandman, also brought to you by Netflix. And you got to follow them on all their social media accounts. Follow them at Mason Alexander Park. Pretty simple. I appreciate that it's uh, cut and dry. <laughs> but yeah, they've got so many great projects coming up. I'm excited to see them in the Pansy Craze. Uh, they're 
Green Room 42 show coming up at the end of uh, this calendar month, the end of Pride Month, thank God. Uh, and yeah, I hope that you're having a good week. Um, New York is finally starting to feel like home again. You know, I, I went back to my home in Georgia for a long time and then I was staying, I was crashing at a friend's house cause they were gone in Brooklyn. And then I, it took me a very long time to be able to have the means to get an apartment, um, due to a lot of like financial, legal, all the, all of the unfortunate adulting, uh, costs that came with the pandemic for me. Uh, so if you had to deal with any of that, I'm, I'm already sorry and I feel for you and I understand. And, you know, I, I was very nervous about abandoning New York for the longest time, but I wasn't abandoning it. I had to go. I, I couldn't, I, I could not live here. And, um, I'm so excited to be back because it's beautiful. And, I've missed eating mussels and sitting and, and, and talking with people in the face because I've been so careful and now we're all vaccinated, hopefully. And, uh, it's good. It's, it's, it's getting to be really good, but also if things are still kind of bad, I get nervous all the time. I I posted this thing on my Twitter that, you know, I'm, I feel still scared a lot of times. I'm so excited. Like I, I wanted to plan this like dinner date and I wanted to, you know, I'm meeting my friends. And then I thought, what if I have a panic attack on my way? <laughs> like, what if I, what if I can't do it? And you know, it's happened a couple of times. I, I was inside of a restaurant for the first time and in Hell's Kitchen. And I was like, okay, people are so close to me. I don't know if I can be this close, but you know what? I've, I've got to trust it. You know, they scanned people for their temperatures at the door and they're, uh, they're checking their vaccine cards and I just gotta, I gotta, if I'm going to do it, it's going to be okay. And, and it's okay to not be okay. Um, but yeah, I just, I just want you to know that you're not alone if you're feeling a hundred different things. And I, you know, I deal with my own bipolar two disorder on top of all of this pandemic. So I really can't pinpoint it to being like, oh, this is something I normally deal with. Thanks, Lexapro. Or if it's just what happens when you live through a global crisis. Who's to say? I will say. I'm excited to talk to Matt. <laughs> I will say. I'm excited to talk to Mason Alexander Park today. And I know you're going to want to listen to this. So here are some stories brought to you by my friend Mason Park. And the children of the moon was like a fork stuck on a spoon. There was pots and pot of pot done at my side. Here we are. I'm so excited to sit down face to half of my face with Mason Alexander Mia Thermopolis Ronaldo Park. <laughs> this has been we've I've wanted to talk to you for so long about so many of these things. So it is an absolute honor that you are sitting down for this storytelling podcast. How how are you? How are you doing, Mason? <laughs> you know, I am I am doing okay. I am a yeah. tad bit overwhelmed um yeah. <laughs> i am Wait, why? very 
I don't know. <laughs> some of it might have to do with like the the real world. Some of it might have to do with the world inside my head. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so many things. But yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm doing really well. I mean, like, there's not a lot to complain about. I'm just uh, very, very happy to be healthy and be mm-hmm. functioning and able to sometimes get out of bed. And that's yeah, it's it's going it's going okay. I appreciate that you said sometimes getting out of bed because I am telling you, I was not giving up my big ass king size bed for nobody. And I, because I live there now, that's what I'm trying to say. Like (laughs) days when I'm just physically not getting out. And I know like, this is, this sounds TMI, but I know you've seen my bedroom. Like it's all dark right now. And it's like, (laughs) this sounds like absolutely sketchy, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's so dark and just like, you know what, if it's a sad day, it's a sad day, but if it's a good day, um, I, you know, I'm in here. So whatever. Um, it's hard to get out of that hole sometimes. That's what she said. Yeah. That's what oh, I said. That's what but they it said. is. That's what I, said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, so in absolutely stalking you just cause I'm like so familiar with a lot of like what you do and who you are now, because you are so, um, transparent with a lot of things on, on mm. most of your social channels, which I find really empowering and also like really beautiful. Um, but I did some deep diving because I want to start at the beginning of your life, bitch. Okay. Um, (laughs) I, I kind of knew like you grew up a child starlet in a way like you starting, I mean, not even starting, like starting at, you know, age five, going into iCarly later, um, can you just tell me a story about like kind of, cause I, I think you do have like a memory of first being on stage and all that good stuff. Like, can you tell me a story about how that kind of came to be for you? Like first time ever. Uh, yeah. okay. Um, I definitely, the very, very, very first time that I ever was on stage in like, um, a theatrical context was my parents. Um, they really liked trying to get me to to try new things. And so they put me in a lot of different activities as a kid, like every sport you can imagine, um, every random extracurricular that they could get me to take. It was it was definitely a really great thing. But also, you know, like I, I felt like I was just trying to balance so many different things. And they I had, I guess they had picked up on my obsession of like film and the fact that I, I had this very weird idea that I was going to grow up to either become Stan Winston or, or Steven Spielberg. Like I was obsessed with Jurassic Park and Jaws and like the animatronic aspect of it, like the, the creature creation (laughs) part of I would sit and just like watch these like special features for all those movies over and over. And so I loved the, I don't know. I like the creative process of of making film. And um, and I think they just sort of picked up on that and thought that maybe they would put me in like an acting summer camp. And we were living in Texas at the time. And I went to this place called the Magic Theater in San Antonio, Texas, right down the street from the Alamo. Very apropos. <laughs> and um, I they did themed camps where you like. Like uh, based on your age group, you could pick different themes and you would basically be in that camp for a week and create a show or a play, you know, an original work based on whatever that theme was. It seems very illegal, although maybe it's it's covered under parody law. But like basically (laughs) you we were doing like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, like whatever it was, it was these massive, you know, um, 
these massive books or movies that you would then base your play off of. And so my very first one was uh, Lord of the Rings. And I played the Witch King, which honestly should be my drag name. I was literally um, about to say, where's that show in Green Room? <laughs> Witch <laughs> King. The, yeah. And that was like, that was the gig. I loved that. my first time on stage is playing, you know, like a, a villain in, in Lord of the Rings. And now that seems to be the uh, kind of track that I continue to uh, play into my adulthood so i'm i'm very grateful uh for the the magic theater for really telling me what my type was early on oh my god you're like i've been typed thank you so much mm-hmm. still learning my queer identity but thank you for typing yeah. me as the witch king that's really beautiful um, i mean that is just inherently so queer the witch king like the that witch is just, king yeah that's as queer as it gets <sighs> title of up witch king um i i didn't also realize that you were a texan because I'm a Georgian, and I did not hear that yeah. coming out of your voice when I first heard you. Oh, thank you. I uh, <laughs> no, I, I trained it out of me. No, I moved around yeah. a lot, um, but oh, okay. I always lived in the South. Like I was born in Virginia, and that my mm-hmm. dad, um, for for his job, you know, we had to sort of relocate a lot, and so um, we. His side of the family lives in North Carolina, so I spent. Uh, four or five years, you know, there. And then also in Texas is where my mom's side of the family is. So we kind of hopped around to a lot of different, um, yeah, hot beds of Southern charm. That's um, amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I know it doesn't, I, when I first moved to Los Angeles, people used to say I had a country accent and I was very confused because oh I, I, I'm pretty convinced I sounded just like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we all think, like, oh, my accent's gone. And, like, the first – I was working in Soho, like, when I first moved to New York. And mm. I, I was like, um, do you want this in a large or a medium? And then people would be like, um, your accent. I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I would, <laughs> try, like, I would try so hard. But the truth is, like, I, I love everyone's natural voice. And I think it's weird when we try to, like, you know, uh, demean people for their <laughs> – accents um but when you find your voice that's your voice you know what i mean so it is has come to me that you are a child philanthropist and and still a philanthropist as well literally god yeah like that blew my noodle can you tell me a story about like literally channel i guess like one or nine or whatever it was for the san antonio (laughs) news featuring you i was just like this cherub of a baby mason is out here being like diabetes will be cured i was like what what's happening can you please please tell me a story because this blew my mind first of all how dare you for saying (laughs) diabetes i am so mad at you for that that is oh god that really like puts me in a very specific moment in time i you know Mm. like watching television and that man coming on just being like diabetes every day i feel like (laughs) really that did rock my world um, I, uh, yeah, so I guess long story short, a really long story short, when I was five, I think like four or five, whenever kindergarten is, I'm not yeah, good with no, that. No, you're right. You're right. Um, my, the, the elementary school that I went to in San Antonio, uh, participated in the school walk for diabetes, which basically, mm-hmm. um, provided like, little prizes to people based on whatever um, amount of money you could fundraise uh, for the walk. And then it all sort of culminated in, you know, everybody walked like, I mean, a quarter of a mile or something, you know, like mm-hmm. on school wearing t-shirts that said, you know, the American Diabetes Association on it or whatever. And that was, that was kind of the whole gig. And so the first year I, I mean, I was a very competitive child. I still am a very um, competitive child, I think. And I, uh, 
raised like $400 or something. I was the top fundraiser for uh, the school. Um, and, uh, and so there was like an inkling of, of, I, I won some kind of award from the American Diabetes Association and just sort of like, it sparked something weird in me where I was like, I had a lot of families that were affected by it. And, um, wow, a lot of families. I am okay. I need help. I had a lot of family members that were affected by diabetes, uh, among many things, uh, you know, a good health does not run in my genetics. And I <laughs> like, it just was something that mm-hmm. I, I cared about and, um, and was good at. So the following year, I was like, well, I'm going to beat, you know, my, I'm going to beat what I did last year. And it was mm-hmm. sort of like I was in competition with myself. And I think the second year I raised somewhere between like two and, and four grand. And um, uh, just by like, you know, like asking everyone I know, I like mm-hmm. I would go door to door and take, you know, pamphlets and like talk to people at like, you know, six years old. And it was it was very, very extra. But weirdly enough, like I think that this is is the place that sort of in my life that sparked my comfortability as uh, as an actor or as a public speaker or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was the first time that I had to learn how to one, take rejection, like people slamming doors in your face all the time. And yeah. two, you know, how to um, be quick on your feet, how to talk about something you cared about, all of those things. So uh, the American Diabetes Association asked me to be, you know, their ambassador that year. I and then eventually asked me to sort of like go all around Texas giving speeches because um, I, I, I received an award and my mom and I like prepared a like a five to mm-hmm. ten minute speech for me. And they were just like shocked that a, that a child could talk, uh, let alone like, you know, talk at length about. And you're about like, no, 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 this like is jokes. like what I do. Honey, I got this. And uh, and so I like, you know, I used to get picked up from elementary school in like a stretch limousine and taken to like the Hyatt Regency to yes. like, give a speech in front of like 3000 business people to try to convince them to, you know, get involved in and and help with corporate sponsorships and that sort of thing. Um and so every year, it just like it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, yeah, to date, I've raised a little over, you know, like $100,000 for different charities, um, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, the American Heart Association. But yeah, it all sort of like came from uh, that weird, like competitive spark at, at five years old. Oh my God. Because of being you're like, also like, I need to do this. Yeah. And it's beyond the whole, like, uh, you know, you're competing, like, you know, when you're selling like gift wrap for your school and then you're the <laughs> highest seller or whatever it is. And then you're like, okay, that's cool. But like what you're, what you're raising money for actually makes a difference. Like, like JDRF yeah. and like all of those organizations are kind of like great. My, my dad had type one, I guess, whatever the worst mm. is my dad had type one diabetes, because I would want, I grew up, I thought that every dad would use insulin shots. I thought that every single dad like grew up like three or four times a day shooting their belly. And like, I just thought that that was like very normal. And then I was like, hold on you have to pay how much for that? Like it kept going up and price it going up. And I was like, this is not yeah. fun. And in fact, like the other, the other day, my mom broke my heart with a story because I, I, I complained that my dad would always serve me um, for dessert. He would always get uh, watermelon and I would get so annoyed because I mm. hate the taste of watermelon. And um, I told my mom the other day, I would like, 
kind of make fun of my dad or something. I would be like, why doesn't my dad like want to have like real dessert? Like, why does he, why did he always like get watermelon? And my mom goes, oh, Grace, that's because watermelon has the lowest sugar in any fruit. So most diabetics, like they, they eat watermelon. And I was like, well, I'm a bitch. Like that sucks. I can't take that back. (laughs) I wish I had known that. I was just some child brat, not understanding that that was, you know, something that he had to have. And that happened just the other day. That's why I had to share it. But um, uh, yeah, that's, that's amazing though. And then you kind of carried it out throughout your career and even into now, like you, you just have that part yeah. of you. Yeah, I, it's, it's obviously, you know, back then it was the sole focus and I'm trying to find more time and more ways that I can use, you know, um, where I am in life to kind of uh, <laughs> continue all of that work. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard you, when you're, um, <laughs> When you're an actor and you get so preoccupied with yourself and you're like, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And like, you're worried about making your own rent. You know, sometimes it's hard to then be like, Uh and now let me continue to do all of this other stuff on top of it. So it like definitely took, um, not a backseat, but it it was, I've been way less like hyper focused and involved on on that aspect of my life. And I'm very upset about it. So, um, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that now that things have started to, um, solidify for me at least scheduling wise and Mm -hmm. and knowing what's what's next that i can completely just start you know getting back on that horse again and and raising money for different causes that i care a lot about well don't beat yourself up because you do care about it (laughs) you know some people don't give two flying fucks and that's what Mm. bothers me is that even when they have the means and the ability they sit on their ass and wonder when when does their house free up in the hamptons and and you don't do that so i'm just saying don't don't (laughs) well i will say if any if any of our listeners have a house in the hamptons anyone yeah please send me the invite so like Again, we're not even into like you getting out of your teens. I I still want to stay. I want to stay because I need to know more about this like high school theater star that you were. Like, I want to know were were you the one they were like we're doing the show for you, or were you the one that was in the back that was like absolutely like mouse hiding, and then one day you just burst onto the scene? Because there are two. I feel like there are two types of theater professionals yeah. now. They were either in the ensemble or they were absolutely the finch in how to succeed from day one. You know what I mean? Like that bitch. (laughs) Dream role. I I was, I was, I was definitely that bitch. Like I was the, uh, um, I, I was the kid that they purposefully had to pick a show. I couldn't be the lead in, in order to make (gasps) people feel like there was no favoritism and that's like the shittiest thing that i could ever say is is that they knew that there were very 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 few shows that they could do that i wouldn't like get the lead somehow whether it was a you know like uh a, a written for a female you know written for like yeah. it didn't matter they knew that there was some chance <laughs> that i would like somehow snag it so um there was a year where uh, my drama teacher confided in me and he was he like legitimately had to pick uh, a show that he couldn't that that he knew I couldn't play lead in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the show was Dreamgirls for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, you're which, so right. 
<laughs> which turned out to be so amazing. And I still was in it. I played the Cadillac car track, which was um, phenomenal. Loved it. Um, like what a what a what a way to go, you know, yeah. just come and you sing your one tune. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> no that one gives a so shit about you. Funny. You're you're just the villain yet again. Um I, I probably am the only uh, Mexican person who's ever played that track, I think. I oh. feel like there's no way. There's no yeah. way that that another that a, another person like me has <laughs> ever played that white 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 track. Probably, yeah. No, you're probably right. That's so funny. But I also wonder if like, because you you do mention that you have played villains, and I wonder if mm. some of it is like queer codedness. If it's like because yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, I wonder if that's. Mm kind of a sucky part of it because I'm thinking you play a villain so incredibly well because you're a great actor. But I also wonder sometimes if we do this to queer people often, like if we're just like, and you the villain. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of been a trope that's that like has existed since the inception of, of Disney animated films, you know, it's like really, it is shocking to like go back and watch all those movies and be like, oh, the reason I was so in love with all of these villains was because they are so inherently queer. Like they are queer coded characters from Scar to Ursula. You know, you're like, oh, these are literally the the queerest of queers. Um, And it is really it is depressing at times to think that like the overlap exists and there isn't much representation outside of it, or at least at one yeah. point in time, you know, theatrically. Yeah. Um, because so many of the characters in like the musical theater canon that are queer beyond like maybe Lacage, um, yeah. you know, I'm talking like pre, you know, the 2010s. Yeah. Like most of those queer characters were kind of villainous unless it was a play, unless it was like, you know, Angels in America or something. Right, but right. Um, so it's, you know, when when I think of Frankenfurter, when I think of the MC, like these really very obvious, you know, um, queer characters that are definitely not the good person, <laughs> like not, <laughs> not the hero of the show, um, but are so much fun to play. So it's that weird combination of like, oh, these were like, this gives me everything that I want as an actor, but what does this say socially about the world at large? And I think we just, to help balance it out, I'm hoping that I will just continue to get to play more um, more queer characters that are not nefarious and evil and mischievous and can yeah. just sort of exist in a joy very- there. Uh, you did just mention that you were, you were playing MC, and I've seen mm-hmm. several clips of you doing cabaret, and you did it with Ali Silver, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, there is so much, I I feel like this could be a separate podcast that I could talk to you about because um, I remember Uh meeting Alan Cumming like back uh, when, when he was doing it at 54 and Mm -hmm. like just watching, uh, I I feel like you could watch the MC and not watch the rest of the show. And you feel like you watch the show, like if if they're doing their job, Um, Mm -hmm. will we ever get to see you do this again? Like what, is there a recording that we can like put out in the world? Like what? How did you, I'm sure that you've always been in love with that character. Like, can you tell me a story of that character process for you when you were doing that show? Yeah. um, The MC really came into my life at a time where I think I needed to see some semblance of a future for myself as an actor. Mm -hmm. I was, I remember specifically being in high school and being very disgruntled at the thought 
that like I would have to wait until I was 40 or 50 to play a part that really felt close to, you know, who I was as a human being. And like the part I'm referring to is uh, Alvin and Lakage, like literally was the only rep I could think of <laughs> as a high schooler where I was like, oh, this is a very, very like gender nonconforming character that like I don't know why I'm so drawn to more than just that like it was more than just a drag part for me and there was something you know so enticing about it and like i i I can't do that show until at least another 10 to 15 years go by and so i um from now so even from then you know like 100 years ago like i was i was far too young so i remember googling i straight up googled like um I don't remember if it was if I googled like transgender roles in musical theater, if I googled like gender nonconforming roles in musical theater, but it, I was looking specifically for any kind of you know play or musical that had a character that sort of you know toyed with gender, and it was before I had a real deep understanding of you know like who I was um, uh, identity wise, and I you know I was just sort of identifying as like a, a cis person who liked drag and 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 androgyny. Um, and I remember finding a video from Cabaret and I knew I had seen the movie, like I knew the role and hadn't really thought of it as, you know, explicitly like what I was looking for in sense at the time and just saw a clip from that, you know, uh, the roundabout production. Um, it actually wasn't Alan. I don't think it was. Uh, I saw Raul singing. I don't care much like on a, like a really crappy bootleg of Raul Esparza <laughs> doing it. And I was like, this is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It just was haunting and so beautiful and visually like really, really stunning. And, uh, and it kind of, solidified for me this idea that there might actually be a chance for me as an actor to play parts that felt close to how I felt inside or how I identified, you know, or wanted to identify on the outside. Um, And I just hadn't really seen anything like that up until that point. So I went into a deep dive of like the MC of Hedwig and a Frankenfurter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, these three parts, these will this should hopefully get me through like a professional career for at least a little bit. And mm-hmm. maybe they'll write more, maybe there'll be more things like this that'll exist, you know, 10 years from now. But at least I know that like there are three leading parts <laughs> out there that I could realistically play. Um, yeah. And it might be worth, you know, pursuing musical theater instead of just selling my soul to TV and film. Cause that was, <laughs> that was sort of the dilemma that I was in. Oh. Like I was, working uh, you know on on mm-hmm. carly and and all these other like nickelodeon shows at that time and was at an impasse where i was trying to decide if i was going to go to college for musical theater or if mm-hmm. i was going to not go to school stay in los angeles and just keep auditioning for tv because wow. i was in like a, i had a good string you were of doing gigs. it yeah 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 and uh and so this literally that night like that google search uh, changed the trajectory of the next, you know, at least like four to maybe eight years of my life after that. And so um, when the part, you know, came to mm-hmm. came to be in this production, you know, it had definitely like crossed my path a few times. I had never, it had never really lined up where I was able to either audition for it or available or anything. And so this, this version of it just sort of like came to fruition and it was a bit of a dream come true. It was a, the production itself was so stylistically and visually different than the roundabout version that it really Mm -hmm. allowed me to step outside of that and sort of find new reference points that weren't just Alan, because I felt like I already was, you know, um, 
a little too close to to him in general you know like he's, <laughs> he's the one person that everyone's kind of compared me to uh artistically oh, my whole really? life yeah weirdly oh, well because there aren't a lot of people like him oh, you know that like so that they just liken parts. you to another person that happens to be very interesting yes. that kind of yeah. okay well yeah. <laughs> weird yeah i think that's the way that it is you know sometimes for people where yeah. you're just sort of like they have no other reference point of like someone uh, that kind of has been famous for toying with you know like literally just that one part and i mean other parts he's definitely bent the rules in a few in a few uh shows but yeah i uh that was always like i remember even in college like my senior showcase that was like the note that i got the most was yeah alan cumming if uh alan cumming if I, I just, but I also have to say that I think that people do this a lot of times with, uh, especially queer people that have great cheekbones. I think that they liken them to other people with good cheekbones. I'm not even joking. Like, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I think that they do that. It's I'll take it. Dumbest. I'll take it. I mean, you're like, okay, thank you. I have good skin. Thank Next. You. <laughs> like, I, oh, please we could, keep going. We could not Don't be stop. more, we could not be more different. Um, this would not be my podcast if we didn't talk about Hedwig. And that's yeah. just the truth Oof. of it. I know. And I think that that was kind of one of the first like conversations like quickly that we had of, of like you doing the show. And like, I think I showed you like my little tattoo of the origin of love on my side mm-hmm. being like, this is so important to me. I, I watched you do it on your um, one of the videos of your Pansy Craze concert. And mm-hmm. I-, I could listen to it on loop. First of all, you got to cut that album. That's a separate thing. I need you to do that emotionally for me. But I want to talk about you doing that show uh, because it's so incredibly special. And and what you were just talking about with like you Googling what roles could exist for me. And then you made that happen with that national tour. Like, can you tell me a story of your either audition process or like you preparing for that role in any way? Because that's huge. Hmm. (laughs) I got to say, I have a really creepy habit of um, manifesting everything that I like all the roles that I've really wanted. Um, you know, those, those three from high school, I Mm -hmm. crossed off my list as soon as I possibly could. Um, you know, desire and Sandman literally started from me tweeting Neil Gaiman uh, asking if (laughs) desire is going to be in the first season. I was like, (laughs) Hey, so weird question, but like, can I play this part really? Like, and so it's just sort of, I've been very um, lucky that I think I I have a decent enough understanding of what it is that I do and or what it is that I can offer to parts and mm-hmm. and it just happens to line up really well with things that I'm very passionate about. I like I'm very fortunate in that regard. And so Hedwig was a similar situation where yeah, it was like it was definitely a defining piece of theater and a piece of film for me in high school. It was one of the reasons I pursued musical theater professionally. Um, and, you know, I, I had been dying for a chance to do it, but I was in college, you know, when the show was on Broadway and mm-hmm. far too young to, you know, be in the part. There also wasn't a standby. It no. was only Neil, you know, so Neil yeah. insisted on doing it himself. If he was sick, mm-hmm. he wanted the show to be canceled kind of a thing. And uh, and so throughout that whole run, they never really had anybody that could have made up for, you know, any sort of performances. They only did seven a week. Like it was such Mm -hmm. a specific situation. And so 
uh, with the tour, it was you, you obviously can't do that on tour. Number one. (laughs) And number two, you know, you have to do eight shows a week. So they, they wanted to make sure that they had two headwigs, you know, at all times. (laughs) And so Darren, Chris was, gonna was gonna start it and they needed somebody to uh you know to stand by for darren and i had just i was just graduated college when they announced it and i was going to new york to do uh to do my senior showcase and so my senior showcase was like uh sunday maybe or something and uh and they were having an open call for it the next monday so i was like you know what i'm in new york city i'm just gonna go to an open call for shut up are you kidding me i i'm i shit you not this was in this was an epa for hedwig and angry inch um and i was like i to, I just I feel like this will be a great story to tell one day when I do it at like a regional theater in you know five or ten years and I can be like oh yeah fresh out of college I auditioned for the tour like uh-huh. an idiot thinking I could yeah. do this you know up until that point every famous you know all, it was only yeah. famous cis men that had played the part and like obscenely all, famous yeah all white except know. for Tay except for Tay right and so we, we I just there was no indication whatsoever that like it would ever be a serious thing for me so I went in and the uh, monitor was like um so oddly enough they're they're saying you can have up to like five minutes of time in the room if you don't like if you have a full song you're welcome to do full songs instead of like 16 to 32 bar cuts and we everybody was like uh okay uh-huh. so I I went in and I for my showcase had put together a Hedwig medley that was like Wicked Little Town and uh, Hedwig's Lament, um, sort mm. of like mashed together in some Frankenstein-y way. I believe mm-hmm. those were those two songs, or I could be completely wrong, but it was cut because it was too long for my showcase. And so I had this like, you know, three minute long cut of Hedwig material in my um in my book and I just sort of gave them the freedom of choice. So I was like, I prepared another song, but... I think, uh, you know, if, if you're interested, like I can do a little Hedvig medley. And they all looked at me like I was, you know, an insane person. And they were like, <laughs> please, please do the do the do the Hedwig songs for us. And I was like, OK, oh <laughs> so my God. I pulled up a chair and I sang it for them. And everybody was like, you know, I think pretty unanimously confused and uh, shocked that you know, that it that I didn't fall on, you know, flat on my face, I think. So I, um, within like an hour or two, I had a call from my agent saying that they, they really, uh, really loved me and they wanted me to come back, uh, like on Friday or something to do uh, a bunch of material. So they gave me like 10 pages (laughs) of material. I was like, it was at nine, you know, I was the first in, as I left, there was like famous person after famous person, you know, like mm, in the waiting room mm-hmm. in Hedwig drag. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, I know you. I've seen you on TV. Oh, I saw you in Rents. Like, that's whatever. not intimidating. You know? Oh, right, right. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Like, it's not intimidating at all. And uh, and <laughs> so I, I did, you know, like uh, did the callback for them there. And then again, like I, I, on my drive, I left New York and was driving back to Pittsburgh because I went to college there. And uh, within a couple, like, I think it was three hours after my audition in the morning, they called on their lunch break and they said, hey, uh, you know, um, we 
have no idea what this process is going to look like. We don't know when, you know, we're going to be doing call like final callbacks, but we just want you to know that like Mason is our top choice right now. And we would love for, for Mason to come and, and do a final callback, like in a couple of months. And I was like, okay. Um, Sure. And and, again, you're probably still like, okay, sure. (laughs) Sure. Right. Every time I was like, oh, this is really, really cool to have gotten to this point. This is where it ends. And like, how cool that it ends here. Um, Was like (laughs) never, never thinking that it was a possibility. It was always about the like, oh, that's great. All right. Well, can't wait to not get it. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I was doing, I was working at Pittsburgh CLO at the time. I was doing South Pacific there. And uh, the way that CLO works is they don't do understudies and um, mm-hmm. or anything. And uh, it was the week of shows, because it was only one week of shows, was the same week that Hedvig decided they needed me in New York to do uh, callbacks, which were like final callbacks, which were very heavily involved. It was like, wow. we're talking work sessions where I showed up oh, in yeah. drag learned you know like i learned choreography from tear me down uh, for Mm. like an hour and i had to then go to a like a studio music studio where they had the band there they had you know full mic setup everything and i sang it and performed it with full audio like as if you were doing yeah show in just a, a smaller theatrical space um so I literally like go through this process. Stephen Trask is there, like everyone that oh, I've been obsessed with forever. Forever, is, like yeah. watching me do you know like twenty minutes of material from Hedvig, and uh, and I'm twenty years old, you know, trying not to show it. Like you're a damn baby, a child, like putting on as much you know makeup as I possibly can in hopes that they think that I'm older because everyone else, oh. you know, like the part she is an she is an old old person like Hedvig yeah. is I mean not an old person but she's in her no, 50s, but she's lived to the Lord definitely yeah, yeah exactly uh, and so I was terrified that that like my age was going to ruin it and um oh, no. and they and it didn't they asked me to come back again that Friday so I flew back to New York and uh and like basically it would fly to New York and then fly back to do uh South Pacific at night and my flight was canceled on Shut the last up on the last day. So I had to call Pittsburgh CLO. And if anybody from, you know, listens to this, they'll, they'll finally know and then they'll kill me. And I had to pretend I was sick. I was like, I'm dying. I'm, I'm in a hospital, like literally had to come up with the most insane lie in order to get out of it. And they sent someone on stage with like a script in hand to, you know, Wow. That's okay. They're fine. Which is fine. fine. CLO's fine. They're, they they made their money. They're they're totally fine. I um, yeah. but yeah, it was unbelievably involved, and I've never been through a process where like I've actually gotten to live with a character in such a, a specific mm-hmm. like intense way, and gotten to show people truly, you know, what you're capable of doing in a non audition context. Like it felt. Um, like work sessions and it felt like performance and it really gave me a little more opportunity to kind of like live in her bones a little bit Mm -hmm. um and uh and yeah that was so that was my whole like beginning and process and and then they called and said that I got it probably a couple a week or so after that I imagine um and yeah, they that had to was let the you know. Shock that. of the century. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, what a beautiful experience to have had right after school. You know what I mean? To say, like, yeah. oh, this is how I get into this, and this is what collaboration really means, and this is what mm-hmm. working is. Because I think that a lot of times people get out of school, and not that I did not go to musical theater school, but I think a lot of times 
people get out of school and then they go, well, I'm supposed to show up at everything wearing this outfit and here's my book. And, and they're, they're just taught all of these like very cookie cutter things. And you seem to have remarkably just like been able to be yourself as well as like being a pro at it. And that's, that's probably just, uh, that's worth more than any paycheck they could have given you on tour. Surely. Yeah. I got very, I, I just am a very fortunate human being in that regard. I don't know what it is, but I, I feel very lucky to, yeah, to, to be so close to a lot of these parts and things that are so very specific and, mm-hmm. and kind of iconic um, because it does, it did make me feel like very seen and very taken care mm-hmm. of. And also like there would be, um, yeah, hope beyond that one show or hope beyond, you know, I, I never felt like I had to conform to an idea of what a musical theater, you know, person who looked or sound that sounded and sang like me had to mm-hmm. be, you know, I've always sort of been able to do my own thing and it's, been fortunate enough um to have been celebrated and and consumed in in various ways um which i yeah i'm a i'm very happy about okay um this is (laughs) hey welcome back uh this is the kind of end of the show where you and i kind of play a a game called short story and Mm -hmm. it's very simple don't worry it's not like you had to have Mm -hmm. taken an improv class in college to do this uh but basically what happens is i'm going to give you a one word suggestion and then you're going to tell me it can be a true or false story but you have to tell me a story in two minutes that made you think of that word. You don't have to use the word. Like you could, I could literally say goldfish. And okay. You could tell me a story about how you scuba do like, and it doesn't, it's not like you have to tell me yeah. a story about a goldfish. Um, and then you are going to give me a word <laughs> and then I will tell a two minute story. So I can go first with the storytelling or you can go first either way. You can give me a word first. Let's see. Okay. All right. I'm nervous. Mason Park. Your word is yeah. wig and your time starts now. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, when I was playing head wig, God, so basic, but uh, <laughs> the first thing I could think of, every, you know, I could do this with every role because pretty much I'm always in a wig, but when I was doing head wig specifically, um, there was so much wigography for anyone who's ever seen that show. There is like during wig in a box, there is that sequence where you are like just taking wigs off, putting them on and they're all magnetic. They all automatically attach to the base wig that you have on that has like all these magnets inside. And I remember that my first performance of it ever, um, I, the wig, the like, there's a trashy one that goes on right after uh, Angry Inch ends. And it's like the wig that Hedvig is wearing um, in the trailer park when she starts the song. And then it comes off and she starts putting them on. And I remember poor Hannah Corneau, who was playing um, Yitzhak for me at the time. It was our first time doing it together on stage. We had rehearsed it together and stuff. But I guess my height was a little bit different from uh, from the Hedvigs <laughs> before. And, uh, and she could not yank it off my head. And so it's like there is a bootleg somewhere of like me just... Hannah like yanking this thing that's like magnetically glued to my scalp off of my <laughs> head and us trying to play it off and it was, it's very beautiful oh and that's and you did it in one minute and a half look at you there you go <laughs> it's funny somebody was telling me like how on earth does Tina Turner do the Tina show on Broadway how do they do that with the wigs like yeah. she's literally running around with throwing her head and I'm like you know what magnets are right 
Like, yeah. like you know that we've been doing that <laughs> shit strong. for a while. They're really strong. So that's yeah. it's really funny that you um oh gosh. I could just see it. I mean, I, I've seen I've seen Lena's shoes from when she was Yitzhak at the for the very end and they're such tall heels. She's already a tall woman. But mm. I I remember just like thinking about like how enormously tall, but then when you're Yitzhak, you're wearing like like just boots, right? Like you're just wearing yeah. like Doc Martens. So combat sure. boots. Yeah, she did not have any help. That's really great. Yeah. Oh, all right, Mason, you are going to give me a word whenever you're ready, and then I will start oh the God. time for my two-minute story. Okay. All right. You got uh, it? Your word. Yeah, I'm looking at things in my room, and I have like I saw the way behind your shoulder, so I went with it. <laughs> Very, very smart. Very smart. Um, Okay. Your word is vanilla. (laughs) Oh my God, vanilla. Let's talk about men for a second. Why on earth is their favorite (laughs) ice cream flavor vanilla? I'm not saying that vanilla is bad, but if you're going to go with a vanilla, perhaps go with a vanilla bean. Like I like even like a triple milled vanilla, perhaps like, I don't understand the immediacy of being like, I'm at an ice cream shop and these motherfuckers are giving me truffle bamboozled chocolate dick surprise and you're out here getting vanilla and i'm just i'm just confused and, and i'm telling you if you google number one uh, male requested scent it's it's vanilla like it if really? you go to yes it, even the base note of most popular colognes is vanilla when they when if they ever go to the bath and body works they do request vanilla bean noel it is the weirdest thing in the world it's like an absolute addiction from most cis men i don't understand um but it's it's kind of sweet i guess like it could be worse i guess it could be cinnamon like cinnamon is lovely i love a chai but i don't think that it would be my first top note for a scent that's what makes me think of vanilla that's that i love that that was i did a one minute (laughs) and i'm not even joking like I absolutely subscribe to that. So big yikes. What did you see in your room that was vanilla? I have a candle that says uh, vanilla tobacco. But see, okay, see, but the tobacco gives it that dark, like rustic, like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, It's a good blend. Um, It's from like a dressing room. I I like to, I put, I'm one of those people that probably, uh, it's very illegal, I think, to light fires in most theatrical spaces. Um, Oh, that's okay. But I. I'll burn the, I'll burn a candle or two in my in my dressing. I'm room. I'm currently burning. Oh gosh, I'm gonna get up for a second. Oh no. No 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 no. I wish I could again. I wish you could see this. Um, it's lavender and dragon fruit. Um, it's delicious. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, it's very. Oh gosh, it's it's very bright. It's good if someone has just like ruined your bathroom. You can light it if your room smells of like debauchery you can also do that like it's it's really good <laughs> it's a really great it's a really great candle um mason i will have talked about your upcoming shows i will have talked about anything mm. else is there anything that you want to impart either story-wise or things that you are inspired by or advice also Ooh. you're not held to this so i can cut it if you're like i don't i don't have any of that so you're not sounding like no <laughs> just <laughs> but, entirely uh, empty yeah hmm. Is there anything you want to impart today? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I have so few words of wisdom for any human being. Um, I don't know. What what could I say? There's so many things I could say. Yeah. But I'm so bad when it comes to, like, 
not having a prompt. If I have like a specific mm. prompt, I'm really good at shit. It's for some oh. reason when someone's like, what is the best advice you've ever gotten? My brain completely will like just go numb. I'm like, no. uh, I don't think anyone's ever given me advice in my life. Well, um, Mason, what would you tell your younger self? Like if you could go back to a, like a story when you were mm-hmm. a younger person, would you be like, hey, this this thing's going to happen? And even your Google search, like this thing is going to happen and it's going to change your life and you're not going to feel like this anymore. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, I mean, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, there are a lot of things that I I think all of us would say. I feel like universally mm-hmm. most people would go back and be like, be kinder to yourself or, you know, or something <laughs> to that effect, which I still probably need to remind myself of even as an adult. Like I need to go back mm-hmm. to the person yesterday and, and say that same thing. Um, but I guess what I would say is um, your, ooh, okay. Your desire to fight labels Mm. doesn't necessarily come from a place of not wanting to be seen. It just comes from a place of not having the right words to describe how you feel. Wow. Wow. I think think that's what I would say. Yeah, because I spent a lot of time uh kind of like avoiding questions avoiding identity as a as a whole thing because no one could really understand what it was that i you know represented uh whether i was a gay cis person whether mm-hmm. i was a trans woman like there were just so many question marks in a time where like the the rainbow, the spectrum of, you know, human representation wasn't nearly as colorful and as uh, specific and inclusive as it is now. So mm-hmm. anytime that I like thought that I got to a place where I was like, oh, this might be what I am or who I am. You know, there were a million people telling me that that didn't make any sense or a million people that were assuming it was I was wrong or I was lying to myself or there was something else going on. So I was just like, well, I'm never going to label myself ever about anything. And I'm just going to mm. be this elusive character that like you know, uh, does their own thing and no one ha- can can say anything about it. And uh, and that was only because I just didn't have the right vernacular. Like now that I have words to describe, you know, my identity to gender, my identity to sexuality, have an umbrella term like queer that is so universally loved and accepted, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that it, it really wasn't, like that wasn't an answer back then. You could say it yeah. and people would be like, right, but are you, what is that? Like, <laughs> okay, so but you're a lesbian you're like no 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 no. yeah right (laughs) i said what i said (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and so it's uh yeah i would definitely go back in time and and, um and tell myself that like things are going to change dramatically and that what you're feeling Mm -hmm. is so valid and a lot closer to how you actually are going to feel in 10 years or 15 years Mm -hmm. than what you you think it is it's just like the rest of the world has to catch up first yeah Oh, yeah, here we are. I'm glad we had a year. Uh, I'm not glad for what happened in the year, but I'm glad that we had the year to figure more of ourselves out because there was nothing else distracting us from who we are. And um, I think that that's true for for most people. Also, if you didn't grow this year, fuck off. I don't know what you were doing, but it wasn't good. It wasn't good, folks. You probably were absolutely fine. And for that, I say, fuck you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I actually talked about that on another podcast like a completely that was for like a cowboy bebop um oh yeah uh, sort of podcast situation and we for at least 20 minutes in the beginning just talked about like how much growth 
happened in the pandemic for everyone. And, but like mm-hmm. me in particular, I've been really lucky to see how many queer people I think found a better sense of stability and a better sense of identity and self-worth without the distractions of like everyday life. You know, a lot of non-binary and a lot of trans people um, like myself who are visually queer and visually trans, um, you are constantly reminded when you're in the real world of like kind of how much of an outsider you actually are and how little people respect you and respect your identity. And, And the sad thing is, is that like translates so directly to your own view of yourself, to your own self-worth. And so having that year where like you're at home and no one's like mm-hmm. really coming into your house to be like, hey, <laughs> sir, or hey, ma'am, like, you know, and like yeah. misgendering you or talking shit to you um, is a really liberating experience. And so it wasn't until I started working again, like it wasn't until I went to do mm-hmm. Bebop and started getting misgendered you know way more frequently and like you know started being in press releases about these ma- uh-huh. about these like massive shows where people are like making fun of pronouns or making fun of trans people or you know like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that mm-hmm. like i didn't get hit again with that sort of sense uh-huh. of like oh my god i'm a, i forgot that like the world views me as a freak as like a problem because <laughs> um, your safety a- changed yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and it's still that way, you know, it's like, it's getting, it's getting worse. And I notice it more and more and the world's reopening and it's, and it's mm-hmm. going back to that. If not, you know, being multiplied, you know, like getting COVID yeah. tests. Like I remember getting COVID tests during Sandman and the, uh-huh. and the person that was doing my tests, like straight up, like I was there in a little, in like a, um, a slip and a blazer. And oh like it was God. Really yes. First, first time I decided to wear a dress out in like oh. ages, you know, like okay, truly. Yeah. In ages. And, and like first thing out of this person's mouth was like, I hope you're, uh, Oh, was that a costume? I hope that's not your real clothes. I hope you're not wearing that outside. Oh my and God. And I was like, who, how do you get on? Like you're shoving a, a stick up my stick nose. Up my nose. Right? <laughs> I like, and, and, and talk and like just being an asshole to me, where do you yeah. get off on sort of like telling me how I can or cannot express mm-hmm. myself? Like literally was like, Oh, I didn't expect that voice to come out of you. And, and like, just like what? could not shut up about the entire interaction was about my, how strange, you know, my presentation or how strange my gender was, how weird it was that I had, you know, lipstick on or like, oh. and that like, they, they were so like, couldn't not talk about it. And I was like, Oh, right. This is, this is what being at home like offered me the chance to kind of not really have to deal with this in real life, just on the internet. And now I have to deal with it on the internet and in real life again. And that is uh, not exciting. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but I'm also like really, I'm I'm really proud of you. Like I, I just, that all of that is really awful and I hope that it keeps changing. But I think that the more people are educating themselves that they're supposed to do that on their own and like, you know, getting better at, at learning, I hope that it, it changes, yeah. especially for young people, because I don't feel, and again, it's, it's not my story. So it's not like I'm an authority figure on any of this. Um, but I just hope that, you know, uh, one day we're going to wake up and nobody has to announce anything. They can just like right. go about and, and they, they can just say like, Oh, this is, this is how I'm identifying. And this is how I exist. And then people are like, okay, that's fine. You know, not like yeah. I've got to, I've got to figure that out. Like, oh God, right. everyone, everyone wants to understand it. Everyone wants, or not necessarily wants to understand it, but everybody wants to be able to control it. It's like, if you yeah. aren't, if you don't identify that way, then it's hard for you to fathom why any human being on earth would be anything other than the thing that you are. It's like we, I mean, the narcissism that exists right. in this world, especially in our country is astounding. And that's where it really 
all just comes from a place of like ignorance and narcissism of people being like Mm -hmm. so confused and baffled by the fact that they might not know everything or that they, you know, might be privileged or that they might like, it's just, it is so Mm -hmm. weird when people are confronted with, you know, something different and see it as a threat (laughs) that it doesn't involve them as opposed to just, Oh, right. It's always threatening. Right. Right. It's like, like, oh, well, that doesn't bother. You know, it's like, what, what, am, what is me being on television, like me being, you know, non-binary, uh, like ever going to do for someone in a negative way that mm-hmm. like doesn't identify that way? Like all they have to do mm-hmm. is ignore me. Like, just yeah. don't, you know, that you, you can not like me or whatever, but don't like judge the the, no. the reality of, you know, the identity. Don't judge the reality of the fact that like, you're everybody's gonna be different from you. Like not everyone's gonna be the same, you know, exact boring person. So like, let's just, let's just chill. Yeah, pack it up. <laughs> yeah, and just don't be friends with that person if you don't want to hang out with a non-binary person. Then just like don't hang out with me. Like, no, my God, it's because I'm come to your house and call you an asshole. <laughs> no, but I think that it's also this fear of like, well, then if you are so celebratory of who you are, oh my God, what have I been doing my whole life, and what are my kids gonna do? God forbid right. they end up like you. What? And I'm like, right. oh, sorry, you want you don't want your kid to love themselves. <laughs> right, you don't want your kids. So to- weird. It's to wear fabulous outfits and yeah. <laughs> be cute. Yes. Oh God. Uh, God forbid. God well, forbid. we are we are doing the Lord's work for the South. That's what we're doing today. That's that's oh, what this yes. podcast was. And it's funny you Love even mentioned South. narcissism because um I that's the whole episode before this one um is all, oh, wow. kind of all about that. This was such a lovely conversation, Mason. You have so much to get back to. What a what a pleasure to sit down with you. And I, every time there's like a random fucking press release of like you're doing this thing or like a, another, I'm just like, yeah, go off. Like I'm so happy <laughs> for you. It's been Thank such an you. exciting year, and and I can't wait to watch Cowboy Bebop because my little Japanese anime ass is gonna be thrilled Ooh. to see it on on the screen and. Um, I I can't wait. So thank you so much, Mason. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Tell Me on a Sunday podcast. This has been a That's Gouda Media production. I want to give a special shout out to my Patreon subscribers. That's Triple Threats and Beyond. Daniel, Joe, Abigail, Matt, Caitlin, Carson and Marissa, Joe F., Priscilla, Rick and Margaret, Molly and Norman, Mackie, Violet, and Michael. Merch is going to be released through my Etsy shop. If you don't already follow that, that's at Grace Aki Made It on Instagram. But also you can find it on Etsy, Grace Aki Made It. Uh, lots of podcast related merch I guess and by lots I mean probably one or two to start and uh, all of my other artwork is available on there too I mean as artists we do a million things we're multi-hyphenates you can still listen to me weekly on Broadway radio that's usually Tuesdays through Thursdays you can get your Broadway news every single day presented by me Matt Ashley sometimes James Marino it's really good highly recommend that you listen to it Uh, thank you guys again for joining me on this journey of storytelling. I hope to see you next week. Otherwise, stay safe. Love you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.